So 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, may the Lord bless the reading and the exposition of his holy word. I've titled this sermon, The Spirit of Truth in a World of Lies. The spirit of truth in a world of lies. But I'll begin with a story about Gregor McGregor. Gregor McGregor was a Scottish soldier who adventured in South America and made a name for himself. But he was also, so he was a, a courageous soldier in battle, but he was also quite the charlatan. So in 1820, the year George IV became queen, his serene highness, Gregor I, sovereign prince of the state of Poyer and its dependencies, and Cacique, a title which he claimed meant king or chief, of the Poyer nation, arrived in London from the Americas. Gregor McGregor was Gregor McGregor no more. He was George I. He told the people, first in Britain and then in France, that his nation was basically Earth's Eden. There was hardly any need for work as sugar, coffee, and indigo, cotton, grew in profusion. Livestock in the temperate climate simply fattened themselves on a profusion of grasses. There were wild fruit everywhere. Gold could just be had basically by looking for it on the rock formations. And precious stones were like gravel on the ground. It was a rich and wonderful place. So he sold land to the Poyer nation, of which he was the Kakik. And he sold it to the British and, he, and the French. He borrowed from London banks on the promise of the gold that they were going to mine. Hundreds of people, hundreds of people bought land on the Poyer nation and sailed for this overseas paradise. You're an educated congregation, but you may not have heard of the magnificent Poye Nation. Have you? It was a fraud, of course. 
he had declared himself to be a so-called king on what is now known as the Mosquito Coast. It's land in present-day Nicaragua and Honduras. There were no boulevards, just swamps. There were no there was no parliament, no extravagant opera house. No, not at all. There was no uh, Knights of the Green Crosses or the uh, Poyasian Lancers, who was a special crack force, he said. But there were plenty of pesky bugs and diseases. Now, these people, of course, we look back, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we say, how gullible these people were. How foolish. It is kind of comical, but it wasn't for the hundreds of people who sailed to the Mosquito Coast thinking that they were going to be part of paradise on earth. The first ships landed. The first ships landed. A hurricane swept the ships away and the majority of the people died. Now, the, the, the question for us today is not so much whether or not we are on a sailboat to Poye. The question is whether or not we're on the highway to hell. People dupe themselves into thinking that they have a very good destination ahead of them. Perhaps they uh, have given blood or... They, they once gave $5 to a homeless person, and they think that uh, God knows their hearts and they'll be fine. But this, of course, is a lie. If you do not receive and rest upon Christ alone for your salvation, then you have no hope. And we must seek the truth in a world of lies. That's the message this morning in a sentence. We must seek the truth in a world of lies. And God the Holy Spirit must do a work in our heart so that we can discern truth from error. So our headings this morning, you'll see reject the lies. That's what we'll see in verses one to three. Remember the victory. That's verse four. And then finally receive the truth uh, in verses five and six, I um, have never done this before to my knowledge, but I actually was was thinking that I, this sermon could kind of have hand gestures. If you ever want to remember the sermon, you reject the lies. You remember, remember the victory and you receive the truth, right? You reject the lies. You remember the victory but then you receive the truth. Well, let's get started. First, in verses 1 to 3, we're told to reject the lies. Don't believe everything you hear. There are lying spirits. There are false prophets. There are antichrists. There are people who want to deceive you. John, the author of this letter, records for us in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus' comment about Satan. Satan is a liar 
and the father of lies. So the, the enemy of your soul wants to do everything that he can so that you believe lies. He will pursue any method that he can, use any means at his disposal, work with anybody who's willing to help him so that you will believe lies. And John's exhortation to the church is not to believe every spirit. Don't believe everything that anybody tells you. Now, how do you do this? Well, he gives in verses 2 and 3 a certain test to know whether or not we're being lied to in a way that's of particular importance for him. But I'll just take this occasion to, to point out that John wants to emphasize how important doctrine is. Doctrine is a fancy word for what you believe about God. And notice that John, who's writing this letter of love, this letter of love says that love has intellectual content. I had a colleague at JBU who would say about a student who was unconverted, but then who came to saving faith in Christ. Well, he was in love with some Jesus, but it wasn't the biblical Jesus, right? We're studying a sermon series. We're, we're doing a summer uh, Sunday school time that I exhort you to attend on Christianity and liberalism. It's the 100th anniversary of the book by J. Gresham Machen. And Machen's central point in the book is that there are people who use the language of the Bible in order to persuade people to believe everything that the Bible denies, right? So there are people that are going to use the words of Jesus, Bible, Holy Spirit, but they are not going to be doing it for the glory of the biblical Jesus or for the good of your soul. So doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. So you have to understand sound doctrines. The enemy wants you to listen to words about God, but that are words that aren't from God. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? The enemy wants you, Satan wants you to listen to words about God that don't come from God, but they come from him. So you have to know the truth. I think in verses two and three, there are two biblical doctrines that we see. One is very explicit, but the other is implicit in the two verses. The, the two doctrines that John alludes to here are Trinity and incarnation. Look at verse two, verse two. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So if we take the from God to be God, the father, we have here the the there will be people that claim to be speaking to you in the spirit. But that is not the Holy Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit there is Jesus Christ, the Son, and then God the Father. Notice that John does not simply say Jesus. He says Jesus Christ. That is Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the one promised to Israel. So God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, um, so what do we need to do? We need to learn passages in the Bible 
We need to learn passages in the Bible so that we can hear somebody say something about the Trinity and go, no, that's not right. You see it in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 31, we are told that the Spirit of God is working in a particular worker in the tabernacle. Then in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then in the same chapter, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, the Lord says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see my face and live. So what is the Old Testament witness about God? There is God, the Holy Spirit, who works in his people. There is the Lord that you can see, that you can deal with face to face. And then there is the same Lord that you cannot see, for no man can see my face and live. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is a consistent New Testament as well. Like in the baptism of Jesus, you hear the Father say to the Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I Love with him, I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends as a dove on Jesus. You see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Unitarians, they're wrong about God. Muslims, they're wrong about God. They are mistaken about God, and crucially so. So that's verse 2. Doctrine matters. The Trinity, defending, understanding the Trinity, matters. Incarnation, verse 3. Jesus became flesh to die for our sins. Now, we see this uh, in John chapter 1. So the author of this letter also wrote the Gospel of John. And what does he say in John chapter 1? He says that uh, the word became the word that is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And so here he is defending a crucial, crucial doctrine about Jesus. Now, let's be clear An attack on the incarnation, an attack on the fact that Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin, is nothing less than an attack on your salvation. Here's why. If Jesus had no flesh, he could not die. If he could not die, he could not bear the penalty for my sins. If he could not bear the penalty for my sins, then there is no grace for me. But there is grace for me. So he did die for my sins. So he was flesh so that he could die for my sins as a sin-bearing substitute. So anybody who says that Jesus, like the Gnostics in John's day, anybody who says that uh, he only seemed to be in the flesh they are not simply wrong about the incarnation which is bad enough it's blaspheming who jesus is but it's also ruining our hope for salvation so we must reject the lies particularly the lies about the lord jesus so this is why if you want a point of application i'll just reiterate what i said before We confessed our faith together. This is why learning the shorter catechism, or at least the the big ones, is incredibly helpful. It's marvelously helpful. Knowing where you can go in the Bible to say, this is who Jesus is. This is why he died. 
this is what it means to follow him is enormously important for your spiritual growth and grace because you must reject the lies. That's the first point. Secondly, remember, reject the lies. That's our hand signal. Then the second point is remember the victory. That's in verse four. Remember the victory. Now, you may say, this is all really discouraging, Jay. I mean, you're just telling us to reject the lies, and then we got to go home and memorize some portion of the shorter catechism and Bible verses. This must be really discouraging. Well, it's not. And I think that John is sensitive to a possible reading of the first three verses, which is why in verse 4, he dresses them tenderly. Little children, verse 4. You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are from God. It means that you belong to him. And, and he says, um, you, we have, or you have overcome them. Notice the past tense. You have overcome them. It's a past work. God has already done a victory in your heart. What past work has God done in this context? I think he's saying, look, there are all of these people that are lying to you and you've got to reject the lies. But guess what? You've already overcome them. You've already overcome the liars. How could that possibly be? Because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. God, the Holy Spirit, has already opened your blind eyes so that you can see who Jesus really is. And to see Jesus as he really is, is to love him. To see him as he is, is to love him. It is inevitable. And so God, the Holy Spirit, has already worked in your heart. So don't be discouraged. Yes, there are people who who want to lie to you, who want to deceive you, who want to misinterpret the Bible so that they can ruin you. But guess what? They were trying to do that before you were converted. Right there, you were swimming in a world of lies. And God, the Holy Spirit, found you and taught you the truth about Jesus. So we have confidence in remembering the victory that he has already achieved for us in our own hearts. I mean, crucially and marvelously on the cross. But there is a great miracle wrought in each one of us when we trust in Christ. There really is. We move from death to life, from darkness to light. And God, the Holy Spirit, has overcome all the lies to bring you the truth. And so be confident. Remembering the victory gives us confidence and meaning in the future. You were, I was, stumbling around in darkness, and then there was light. I would read my Bible, and it, it would just be words on a page. And then one day, it was a flame. And that happened to you. And so remember the victory. Now, there is a film that I saw once, and I wept like a baby, so I'll probably never see it again, because that's how emotionally strong I am. But it's, it's deeply, I think, uh, a perfect illustration of this. Uh, in the t- 2004 film, The Notebook, it's by uh, Nicholas Sparks wrote the novel and they made it into a film. I mean, some of you have seen the film and you're just going to start crying. Um, it's a man reads a love story, an old man reads a love story from 
uh, a notebook. And he's in a nursing home and he reads it to uh, a woman with dementia. And so the film is this story that he's reading and it's played out of these, uh, a, a young man who's poor, who falls in love with a girl who's rich. And, and then it kind of flashes to them and they have this, the old people, and it flashes to them and they have an, inter, an, inter, an interchange. This is a good story. She says at one point, I think I've heard it before. She, she loves the story. But for some reason, she says, even though it's a marvelous love story, it makes her sad. It makes her sad. Well, one day in the film, she wakes up from her dementia for just one moment. And she looks at the man in the nursing home in a very different way. And she says, I remember now. It was us. It was us. It was us. Some of us are facing discouragement in the Christian life because we have forgotten the great love of our souls, the great lover of our souls, the one who plucked us out of a fog of confusion and set our feet upon the rock, the rock which is Christ, the great lover of our souls who remembers us even when we forget him, who reads to us, who sings sweetly over us even as we sleep. Will you this morning remember the Lord and his victory in you, in you. He made, there's a victory that he accomplished outside of you, apart from you, in the glorious work of his son. And remember that. But remember too the victory that he worked in you. Do not forget the love of your life. Little children, do not forget the love of your life. We are from God And he is greater. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Remember the Lord's victory over you. The Lord did not unfurl a banner over you saying, I am a conqueror. What does Song of Songs chapter 2 verse 2 say? He brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. His banner over you is is love. Remember the victory. That's our second point. Reject the lie. Reject the lies. Remember the victory. And then finally, receive the truth. Verses five and six. John advances this point by way of contrast. He says there are two kinds of people. There are those who come from the world and there are those who come from God. And he has told us you're from God because greater is he who's in you than he is in the world. But how does he articulate the contrast? He makes, in my mind, a very surprising claim. First, he makes a a kind of understandable claim. There are people who are from the world, and worldly people listen to worldly people, right? They listen to each other. Worldly worldly people give worldly wisdom, so-called worldly wisdom, to the so-called worldly wise. 
But what's interesting here, and perhaps unexpected, is that he says, verse 5, they're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, okay? Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever knows God listens to us. That is a surprising claim, right? But John has a true sense of the work that God had uniquely called him to do in writing this letter of Scripture and to others and a gospel. He understood that as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had the privilege of communicating to God's people in a unique way what Jesus himself had said. We tell you, John is saying, what Jesus told us to say. You listen to us as we listen to Jesus. Just quickly, in um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, he says, John says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And where did John get that? He got that from Jesus as he records in John chapter 13, verse 34, the gospel. He says that Jesus said a new commandment I give you that you love one another. So he is taking, he's receiving from Jesus and he's passing along faithfully to us the very words of Jesus. And you see that this is a consistent uh, message, both in the Old and the New Testament. Believe what I'm telling you. Because I received it from the Lord, is what the authors say um, in First uh, Corinthians uh, fifteen, also First Corinthians eleven. When we take the Lord's Supper, Paul says, "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed." So there is a unique calling here, and of course, we need to remind ourselves that whereas liars want to ruin our lives. John says very clearly in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that what? That you may know that you have eternal life. People who lie about God tend not only to lie about God, but to be charlatans in every other way. They, uh, they rob the church, they rob widows, but not God's messengers. So what is, how does this exhortation to receive the truth relate to everything else. Well, we, I think, discern error by being captivated by the truth. We discern error by being captivated by the truth. I, um, I think it's still true that uh, Secret Service agents, when they're trained to spot counterfeit money, actually just focus on the real deal. I think the $20 bill is the most counterfeited um, dollar in the U.S. and then the $100 bill outside the U.S. But if you know the true, then the fake is glaring. If you know the true, if, you, if you've memorized the true, then something that would dupe me, right, a counterfeit bill that I would say, well, this looks like a $20 bill to me, if you've really studied a 20 then you know that it is fake. So too, 
receive instruction from the scripture, meditate on the word of God. Don't simply uh, flip to a couple of pages, really study the Bible. And when the falsehood comes, you'll be able to recognize it. And we should always focus our study on the Lord Jesus, the great lover of our souls. We are his sheep. And he says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If I, sorry, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So covenant church, reject the lies. Remember the victory and receive the truth. Remember that God called you to himself when lies were swirling about you. And he who has brought you to himself will bring you home to glory in one day because you are his. Don't follow the Gregor McGregors of the religious life. Follow the voice of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you have brought us to the banqueting table and your banner over us is love. And we pray that we would be diligent in receiving the truth, remembering all that you've done for us and fighting against the lies that's so pressed against us. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is not trusting in the biblical Jesus, in the real Jesus, We pray that you would draw him or her to yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask these things for your great name's sake. Amen.